kind of cliche and generic, but it's so true, that life's like a coin, and you only get to spend it once. How many believe that? You know, we, 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 we have a life. We don't get another life. There's no, uh, biblically, we don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in second chances after we die. Amen. We do have a second chance every day we live, but you don't get it after you die. And um, I want to read a parable here in a second that talks about um, the parable of the rich fool. Don't be a fool with your one and only life. Some of you might remember, I remember this vividly, 10 years ago, um, a lady died and she left an inheritance, but she did not leave it to a person. She left it to her dog. Does anybody remember that? 2007. How many have ever wished that someone would leave you an inheritance? Amen. There's people that consistently and constantly and frequently look online to check and see if someone's left them money. They put their name in, and, and sometimes you can have money owed to you even for different things, and people are checking it constantly. I mean, who's going to not be honest in here tonight and say you wouldn't love to find out that you were an heir to somebody for something? Amen? Especially to find out that you had a lot of money. One guy I was reading about, I'll get back to this story in a second. I was reading some of those strange uh, inheritance, strange wills. And one person said, I want to leave all my money. I says he, he, call, he called it the angry will. And he says, I don't want to leave any of my money to any of my descendants. And so he left the time frame for him to be able to, to uh, give it away to make sure that he counted out all his kids and grandkids how long they would live, and then he put a date after they would all be gone if they lived long lives so that nobody would get his money because you have to leave it to something. And then the crazy thing is about 11 people came, you know, through the bloodline and still ended up getting $110 million, but none of his direct family got it. So there's a lot of crazy things that happens to come, happen, to, happen to come with what's left behind in a life. So let me read this just a little bit about this lady. You might recognize the name. The, the title of it is The Richest Lap Dog in the World. A little white Maltese, and, and, and her name was Trouble. That was the name of the dog. The reason this just came out again is because Trouble just died in December, although it's just making news now in March. And she died at the age of 12, which in dog years is about 84. So she, she lived a good life. Much better I'm not reading this now. I'm just much better than probably 85%, 90% of the world. Amen. And lived in a lap of luxury. Every need tended to around the clock. The dog was initially left to her brother. She didn't leave him any money, but she left him the dog so that he would take care of her. He said he didn't want to take care of her, so the dog was taken in a private jet to Sarasota, Florida. Well, I mean, that's where he's supposed to retire, right? So the dog goes to Florida to retire. Trouble owned, owned her old coddled lifestyle to her former owner, New York Hotel heiress Leona Helmsley. She was titled as the late, her name was the Queen of, does anybody know? Mean. She was titled as the Queen of Mean. She has actually some uh, uh, interviews that she did with Barbara Walters that are kind of interesting. So she left $12 million to her Maltese. Y'all just thinking about that for a second, what you could do with $12 million? No, no, no kids, no grandkids got money. She left it to her dog. 
Here's the crazy thing. She, she wanted to make sure the dog was taken care of, so the dog had a budget besides the money that was left to the dog. That I don't know what, what the dog's going to do with that, but $100,000 a year just to take care of it. Food, security. He paid $60,000 a year to take care of the dog so the dog would not get kidnapped because many people tried to kidnap the dog. So a judge later knocked down that inheritance to $2 million, and the dog died in December. Here's what's crazy. After the dog died, the Queen of Mean also said that she wanted to make sure that that dog was buried with her in the mausoleum. Anybody know what that is? Mausoleum. I might, mausoleum is probably the better way to say it. That's the big, humongous thing that's erected for somebody as a, as a, as a gravestone that's really like a house. She left a 12,000 square foot mausoleum for her body to be inside of and to make sure that she got that dog buried with her when the dog died. Problem is, they said no pets allowed. So the dog did not make it to be with her in her resting place. Crazy thing also, the last little statement on this is that she left $3 million. She didn't like dirt. So she left $3 million when she died to make sure that her mausoleum was washed or steam cleaned once a year. After she's dead. How many would say that's foolish? Okay. So Luke chapter 12, I want to talk about don't waste your life. Don't be a fool with your one and only life. Verse 17, 16, sorry. Jesus says of Luke chapter 12, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, so if you think I'm bad for saying a fool in the title, here you go. You fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things which be which you have provided? Listen to that. Then who, whose will those things be which you have provided? And look at verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lord, anoint your words for the next few minutes on this Sunday night. God, thank you for bringing us all back safely. Thank you for us being tonight in church in your house on a Sunday night. Thank you for the great praise and worship, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Just speak to us over the next few minutes, Lord, about the importance of making sure that we're spending our life on this earth doing the things that make sense for the kingdom, Lord. And, Lord, we come against every spirit, every deception, every lie of the enemy tonight. Take authority over those things. And thank you for fruit out of this message. Bless all those tonight that are listening and will be listening online, Lord, that may be different places even of the world, that they would just be spoken to in their hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see this story, and I want to go, go in through it a little bit again here in a second. But the first thing I want you to see is the last part. 
don't listen to a message like this and automatically think. See, some people think because you're a believer, you have to take a vow of poverty. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's wrong to have money. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's wrong to have things. Nowhere in the Bible does it say any of those things that we should be poor, that we should be less, that we should be any of those things. Matter of fact, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, especially in the Old Testament, you see lots of people who had lots of things, lots of money, lots of uh, property, lots of possessions. But here's the thing that we're always trying to teach from the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with having things as long as what? As long as the things don't have you. Because as you read this parable, you can automatically begin to think erroneously, okay, well, uh, God doesn't want us to plan. God doesn't want us to save. God doesn't want us to have things. God doesn't want us to do things. That's not the point. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself, but what? But is not rich toward God. What, what, what would God give us things for? Why would God bless a person? Why would God put things through the hands of a person who's a believer in him so that they could be rich to him and through the kingdom of God for him and, and provide back to the kingdom of God things he's placed in their hand? But we understand at the same time, there's a lot of people in this world who are not believers and they have a lot of money. And it's very easy a lot of times for someone who doesn't have a lot of money or doesn't have a lot of things to get that spirit of jealousy. And, 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 and you know, sometimes no matter how much you have or don't have, and, and by the way, this is not a money message. This is just a message about uh, life. But he's talking about things and possessions. And we, we, we think about this and we think, well, man, what, what am I doing today that's going to affect my tomorrow? Am I thinking about tomorrow at all? And the thing that always comes back to me is I could, I could easily, uh, you know, get jealous of people in, in my flesh thinking, man, they have all these things. They have all these possessions. They have things I wish I had or, oh, man, what a nice house or whatever. You can think I, I could drive around and I, and I have seen buildings. I see church buildings. That'll get really jealous too much about people's houses and things. But I do get a little bit jealous when I see big, nice, beautiful church buildings that I wish we could have. Just being honest. I really don't, uh, you know, just, just really covet too much houses, but man, I'll drive by a big old church and see a big old playground, see a big old parking lot, and see a big old night. Oh man, I wish we had that building. That, that I do. So it's easy to, to do that, and, and, and maybe it's for you, it's a house, maybe it's for you, it's cars, or, or it's a thing, it's a clothes, it's whatever. Don't sit here and try to act like you don't have, I could grab the mic right now and walk around and say, hey, what do you, if you were honest, man, I really like this, I really like that. People like things. We like things. It's okay to have things as long as the things don't have us. And that's what we have to be careful. And I, and I kind of remember growing up, I had um, some family that had money. And, and I used to think, man, what a blessing to have that kind of money, to have those kind of possessions. And, and, and if they weren't saved, you could easily say, but they're going to die someday and it's not going to mean nothing. Because that's what I do. When I see somebody who's not saved, that has a lot of things, I don't, I'm not jealous of them at all. Honestly. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? Why would I be jealous of somebody who has things but's going to hell? Because it's temporary. It's not going to last long. But where you can get a little jealous, well, I used to say, oh, Lord, but it sure would be nice to be saved and rich. <laughs> Come on. Be saved and have everything you need. Know? I mean, it's like, hey, best of both worlds. 
Now, if I had to choose, obviously, I would choose dirt poor and go to heaven. But sure would be nice to have salvation and everything that you need. Amen. Because you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And it's, so there's, it's not about having or not having. It's what has you. This man was so caught up in foolishness because he did not take counsel. I want to break this verse down for a second. Um, I'll give you some other verses to read. Number one, three points, three simple points tonight. And I usually don't do a lot of messages with points, but I'm going to do three points tonight. Number one is he was, he was foolish with the instructions that he took. Okay, foolish with the instructions he took. How many know that instructions are important? Guys, we're, when we have to put something together, and the ladies laugh, amen. Guys are so good at thinking, I don't need this instruction book. I'm going to put this together. By myself. Matter of fact, you open the box, you start taking things apart, you throw the instructions in the box. Throw the instructions out with the box in the trash. Start putting things together and something that has five legs is supposed to have four. Or four legs is supposed to have six. Fifteen screws and has three. Screws are left over. You put it together, it falls over. How many know what I'm saying? You need the instructions. The instructions are there for a reason. And what you do is you waste time trying to put it together by yourself, when you're going to have to go back and look at those instructions again and disassemble the mess you've put together. Amen. So follow instructions. But a lot of times people want to make their own instructions. So we see in verse 17 it says, and you can underline this if you want, he says, he thought within himself. So he was seeking instruction for his life. How many know that, that little decisions like, I should brush my teeth, I should go to the bathroom, I should eat, I should go to work. I, those are not things you need to seek counsel on. Amen. Those are things you just need to do, praise God. But there are some bigger decisions that are, you know, job change, uh, uh, buying a house, uh, getting a car, school, lots of decisions that are bigger where you need to seek counsel. And you need to be wise. And Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right where? In his own eyes. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So when you're making a, a big decision, it's wise to seek counsel. And who do you seek counsel from? You seek counsel from people who have had experience in what you're doing. So example, I'm not going to seek from somebody who has made a mess of their kids as parents. I'm just giving an example. I'm not going to go ask them how I should take care of how I should raise my kids. Now, I'm not talking about kids that go do that. I'm talking general, okay? I'm not going to go ask some man or woman, hey, how should I do my marriage if they've divorced? How many are following what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not trying to get into all the circumstances, who's right, who's wrong, and all that. I'm just trying to say, I'm going to ask someone for counsel about marriage who's got a good marriage and has been married for a while and are happily married and, and have some years behind them. And the same thing with doing a business, the same thing with, with changing jobs, the same thing with raising kids, whatever it is, you seek counsel. You see someone who's got some fruit in their life and you say, hey, you know, when you did this decision, when you bought that thing, when you did this, how'd you do it? You seek counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
But this man in this parable, who the Bible says is a rich fool, did not seek counsel. He tried to do everything his own way. It's dangerous when you only trust you. Okay? We need to have other people involved, but we mostly need to have God involved. God should always be, even when you seek counsel from somebody and you say, hey, what do you think about this? How can I improve this? What do you, what do you think? As you're doing that, you are, are making the decision, taking in wise counsel, but the ultimate decision should always be God. And, and you might get, for example, you might be making a decision. Just, I'm just throwing out examples uh, to buy a house. You start going through, the, through, the, through the, the, the steps and you start putting things together and you're seeking counsel from people and, hey, how'd you do yours and, hey, who'd you use and, hey, what interest rate did you get and how did you do this and how'd you save up money and all these questions and you're seeking counsel and, and they're saying, okay, do this and do that and you're following the steps and then all of a sudden at the end of the process, God says, it's not time to buy a house. So you say, okay, okay, Holy Spirit, I hear you. Even though I've got good counsel, even though I've got a, a bank ready to help me and I've got this and that, if the Holy Spirit says don't do it, then you've always listened to the ultimate counsel that is the Holy Spirit. Always. Amen. He's always got the last word and we should be keeping the counsel of the Holy Spirit. There has been times in my life that I know that God told me to do something and I haven't always seen the reason at the moment why. And I may never, I may never know the exact reason why God said do this. There was a time when we were in Costa Rica that we needed a new vehicle. God was blessing us at that time, at that moment. A door opened up. We were able to buy a brand new vehicle. My wife will cringe a little bit on this part because it was, it, was it was kind of a bitter moment for her. Amen. And she's probably passed it by now. But at that moment... We, we were like, hey, let's just get a new vehicle. We can afford the payments. And so we went to the dealership, and there was a new car coming out that had never been out before. You've probably seen them now. It's called the Tucson. I thought it was kind of cool because that's where I grew up. And it was called the Hyundai Tucson, really nice little small SUV. And so we went, and all, to make a long story short, we bought that thing, and we bought it so new that it had plastic on it still. It, it came straight from the ship. Like it never even got to the dealership new. Never been driven. And that was a, 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 a proud moment for me and my wife. We bought that car brand new. It's the only car we've ever bought brand, 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 brand new that with absolutely zero miles on it. And six months later, the Holy Spirit said, sell the car. Sell it. And, and, and I don't know to this day why. There was no really at that moment implications, but we have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and just do what he says because he's talking for a reason. The Holy Spirit's not wasting his breath, but he's always uh, uh, working on us so that we can. How many want to get to the place where you can really hear the voice of God? And maybe we say, God, I don't hear you speaking. And God says, I speak, but you don't listen. I've told you don't do this or do that, and then you don't listen, and then I do it again, and four or five times later I say, well, I'll start talking to them. Whenever they decide to start listening, I'll start talking. Is there anything worse than talking to somebody and giving them counsel and telling them they ask your opinion and you give it to them and they never do what you say? Amen. That's the worst thing in the world. And you finally get to say, you know what? You ask me all the time for advice, but I've never seen you do what I tell you to do, so why are you asking me? I think that that's how God gets sometimes. So we have to be careful to not listen to foolish instructions. Number two, 
to not make foolish investments. To not make foolish investments. This is just a side story. You know, in sports, those people make crazy money. Right? Especially just to the common people. Players in the NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball and all the different, they make lots of money, millions and millions. They make crazy money. And what happens is a lot of those players don't make it in, in, in their lives. They retire after several years of playing basketball, and they've made on paper sometimes $100 million. A hundred. Some of us can't even wrap our minds around that. $100 million. There was one player. I'm not going to give his name. It's not necessary, but someone know who he is. And he made $140 million in his career. That's a lot of money. And what happens is these guys, they, they, they all of a sudden come into a lot of money and they, they begin to get instructions on investing from people. The problem is the people who are telling them how to invest their money are one of two people. They're the friends who've never had it either or they're people who are wanting to get their money from them. And so this guy, and, and, and a lot of times we can be doing things with the right heart and really, really saying, Lord, I, I, not Lord, but they would, I would say, Lord, they would say, you know, I want to do this right. I want to invest. I want to I leave something for my kids. I want to I make this happen. And they do it with the right heart. And then someone comes along and they don't follow in, uh, good wisdom. And then they, they, they make bad invest, investments. And this one particular guy put every dime he had in a big, humongous uh, real estate purchase. And it was a scam. All his eggs in one basket, $140 million. Today he's broke, absolutely broke, and probably on drugs. He's in bad shape. How many can see that you have to make those, those good investments? So it's it, investments in, for us tonight may not be ever handling that kind of money, but it's just like we talked about at the offering. That was a great word by Robert to say, you know what, even if it wasn't under the law, which it wasn't, by the way, even if it was, grace should cause us to be generous. Grace should cause us to give more. Grace should cause us to invest in the kingdom of God. Amen. And give of ourselves and give of our things because God's looking for people who will be generous and not invest in foolish things. But what did he do? Let's look at verse 18. He says, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Now this is the interesting thing about this parable. He speaks to his soul. Interesting. He's talking to his soul, but he's not thinking at all about the soul who's going to live forever. That, that's why Jesus said so strongly in the word of God. He said, what does it what? Profit a man to gain the whole world and what? Lose his soul. What good does it do to have lots of prosperity and have lots of things? I mean, that's, that's why I went back to that story. How sad is that to die and leave your money to a dog? And it, I'm not trying to hate on animals. That's, if you love your dog, that's great. But what does that do? Because now the dog's dead. I mean, how, how, how are you leaving? A, the only legacy this woman is leaving is stupidity, yeah. foolishness. 
she's going to be famous forever, but I don't want to be famous for that. How many want to be famous or leave a legacy or leave something that's lasting, that's talked about, that means something? I mean, she didn't even leave it to a person. You know, she could have left it to a person that would take good care of her dog. That didn't even work because she tried to leave nothing to the person to take care of her dog. And that didn't work. So you got to do something in your life tonight. You got to start thinking, you know, my, my life might be wrapping up. And you know what it is? Guess what? I want you to say something with me. I'm dying. Come on, say it again. Some of you didn't say it. I'm dying. We're all dying. We are. We are now closer to death than we've ever been. We're, we're one moment, one minute, one hour, one day closer. I'm not trying to be sad. or That's just the truth. And, and this is what this parable is talking about. We have to stop. And wherever we're at in our lives, this has to be a constant reminder of why am I on this earth? Why do I live? Why do I breathe? Am I just sucking in oxygen or am I doing something? And this is where when we begin to understand that we're saved and we're born again and we're a part of the kingdom of God, this is where it gets exciting because we begin to think, man, it doesn't matter if I have a lot of resources or at least little resources. I am part of the kingdom of God and I am going to live forever and I can do something to make an impact on eternity. On eternity. It's not about me anymore. It's about the impact that I can make on eternity. And so foolish investments would be building more, bigger barns, doing things that don't do anything to affect other people's lives, and making things all about me. Matthew 6, verse 19, if you'll go there quickly. I will, I, you've probably heard this, but I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Give me an amen when you get there. Even if you've seen it before, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6. Some of you already know what it is. God doesn't waste time when he writes his word. Amen? This is, this is important. He's giving us something here tonight. What should I do with my life? How should I live? How, how should I act? What's, what's, here's the answer. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, let me stop there for a second. I want to go back to this other verse. It does, that's not to say you can't save. That's not to say you can't plant. You should do that. That does, does not say that we just, we just live life on a limb. There's, the Bible says that we should leave an inheritance to our children and our grandchildren. Okay, so, so this, keep, keep the balance in perspective as we're talking about this. The problem is the, the unbalance of going the other way and being so busy and so caught up and things that are carnal, and things that are not eternal, that you don't make a difference. And what I'm trying to do as your pastor is save you from a day down the road where you're going to regret not doing more for God than you did for yourself. How many can grasp that tonight? We, their careers are great. Jobs are great. Uh, studying is great. All the things that we do in life, they're necessary. They're things that help other people. They're things that we should do. But if we get so caught up in those things, we become so busy thinking about now and today and then tomorrow and the future and life that we forget there's an eternal thing going on in my life. And I'm going to die someday. And I'll show you at the end of this verse or this end of this story. I, a, a message, sorry, I'm going to have to give an account to God for what I did with my life. Now, without going into it tonight, 
the parable of the talents is for that reason. When we hear talents, we can understand, and, and this wasn't in my notes, so I don't want to go there, but we can understand that it, it, it could be physical talents. It could be abilities. It could be money. It could be things. It doesn't matter. The idea is each one of us are given different amounts. Some are given one, some are given two, some are given five. That, that, that's across the board saying it, it, it's some, someone over here that has five can say, oh, that's not fair. I'm responsible for five. That one over there is only responsible for one. It's not about that. It's about what has God given you and what are you doing with what God's given you. That's why I'm always telling you this is personal. We cannot get so caught up in, in, in man, it's, you know, I'm just, I'm tired, I'm, I can't do this, this is sacrifice, whatever. Any of those things we get, I, I, I'm busy, I, we can't do that because at the end of the day, you're going to have to give an account for what God gave you. That's what you've got to remember. You've got to be thinking about that. Lord, when I stand before you, what will I say? Only I know for myself and only you know for yourself what God has given you. What God's expecting of you. What God's going to require of you. So he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now the important thing to see on this is, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. On earth. What, that doesn't mean you can't save, you can't have things, you can't. What he means is, don't let those things have you. How many see that? I can have things if the things don't have me. Well, you know what that means to me? That means to me that if God says, sell your Tucson, I sell it. That, that might have been the only reason God asked me to sell that car. Because he asked me to. See if I would. You have to ask yourself tonight, if I have a little or I have a lot. Because that's the interesting. I, I, when I have preached on messages on money, I've made that statement many times. You can be dirt poor and be more stingy than someone who has money. It don't matter. It's not about the amount of money. It's about the heart. You can be the most richest person in the world and be the most generous person in the world. You can be the most poor person in the world and be the most stingy in the world. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And you individually, what the Lord has given you in abilities, in finances, in talents, in things, in relationships, in life. He's, he's, he's given you things and you have to give an account for that. So he says, don't Lay up for yourself treasures on this earth, meaning don't make idols of the things you have. Don't love those things more than you love me. Don't, don't put your heart so much in that that if, if you lost that, it would absolutely destroy you because it's just things. And you know what? This is going to sound crazy. You even have to get that way about your family. Your wife, your kids. My wife and kids could be an idol for me. If I ever get to a place where my wife and kids are more important, not than God, but more important than what God has asked me to do, and I'm not talking about leaving my wife for, for, for the ministry or, you know, I'm just so busy with the ministry, I can't be married to you, I can't be a good, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I cannot place them more important than the answer that I have to give to God, just like they can't put importance on any other person more than they do to God. Because again, God's not going to ask me to give an account for my wife or my daughters before I give an account for me. Some of you are too caught up in the things going on in your life, but you're not focusing on what you're going to answer to God for. Careful about that. Be careful. 
that raising your kids or, or being a husband or wife or any of those things become an idol to what God's asking you personally to do. You know what, you can, you know what can happen? You can, you can be so caught up in those things and in a good way that the devil could come in and use that situation to train wreck you. Absolutely train wreck you. How many are following what I'm saying? Let me give you an example if you don't believe it. When a, when a, when a, when a parent, couple of parents lose a child, why is the divorce rate so high? Come on, be real. Because they love their children so much. Their marriage was so, so surrounded by those kids that what, once that was taken away, they couldn't hang together. It's, it's, that's a real thought. And it's just an example of the anything, the many things that, that could be in our life. Friends. If you love your friends more than you love God. Dangerous. Because, because that, again, is the problem. If, if I've got friends surrounding me, and, and, and we see this with the life of Job. If I've got friends surrounding me, and they're encouraging me, and they're saying, hey, let's do this together. Hey, let's serve God. That's a wonderful thing. But what if all of a sudden my friends leave me, or my friends go the other way? Am I going to go the other way too? Is my relationship based on Christ, or is my relationship based on my friends? You cannot have anything that is a treasure on this earth where thieves can break in and steal. What this is telling you is he wants us to have a relationship with him that's so strong that nothing can tear you out of his hands. Nothing. Not a broken relationship, not a loss of things, not a loss of money, not a loss of possessions, nothing. It doesn't mean that those things wouldn't hurt. It doesn't mean that those things wouldn't be painful. It means it would not ruin my relationship with Jesus. Because my relationship is built, as we sing the song, on Christ alone. Don't we sing the song, Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. That's the song we sing. Do we mean that? Do, do, I can't answer that for you. But do I mean that? Is, is, is Christ my treasure? Is Jesus and my relationship with him my treasure? Or is something bigger and greater than him? So he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that can be broken into and stolen, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, watch for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. But to be careful that we're not in a place that the more we receive, the more we want. It's always just that, that God, you've, you've get, Job said, God has given, God can take away. See, Job, a lot of times people think, well, how can I relate? Job went through it all. Job went from having a lot to having absolutely not, not just nothing, negative. He was in the negative. He was like beyond zero. Right? Negative, who, who knows what number that would be. And, and, and in the negative, he said, he came to the understanding, he's, and, and here's what I do, here's what I say, God, please don't let me have to go through what Job went through to get this, I just want to, I'll just take it now. 
I'll get the understanding right now. I don't want to go through what Job went through. I don't want to be hard-headed. Job gets to that place of having absolutely nothing. And when I say nothing, read the book again. I mean nothing, negative nothing. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. You know what he's saying in that statement? He's basically saying, I understand that this life is my one and only life, and it doesn't matter what happens in this life, I, I came from eternity, and I'm going to go back to eternity. I came from God, and I want to go back to God. Did somebody catch that? I came from God. I want to go back to God. I don't want to come from God and go to hell. We, we're not, we, don't, we get the choice where we go. We get the choice where we spend eternity. But we've got to be more focused on eternity so that we'll do the right thing here. And so Job says, naked I came in from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. And because he grasped that and got that understanding, God was able to say, okay, now, not only am I going to restore what I gave Job, I'm going to give him double. I'm going to give him more. And, and what I've said a million times, and I believe with all my heart, is when God asks you for something, what does he do? Can anybody quote me? What does he do? Always gives back. Better than what he asked you for. Always. If you'll give whatever it is, and this isn't about always just things and possessions, but sometimes it's your time, sometimes it's your heart, sometimes it's your, your desires. If you'll give those to God and just say, Lord, I am yours. I'm yours. Everything I am, everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Use me. If you say that to him, he's got somebody that he can put a whole lot of blessings through. He can put a whole lot of life through. He can put a whole lot of provision through. He can put a whole lot of talent through because you're just saying, Lord, I'm nothing without you. So that was number two, foolish investments. Number three, the last one. Maybe the worst, probably the worst. Foolish independence. Foolish independence. Verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I think probably all of us in here know somebody who has at one time or another had a lot and lost it. May, may not know him personally or directly, but you probably know of somebody. And there's lots of people like that who have had things. That'd be a good person to sit down and talk to. Because they've had to learn what it's like to have nothing and then have something and then have a lot and then have nothing again. And the understanding behind that is if I get to a place where I become dependent on myself, I'm in trouble. Because what does this go back to as I'm closing? What does this go back to if you think about the lady with the dog? She was heir from her husband and their, their business together. I don't know how, deal to, how, how involved she was, but they were billionaires. Billionaires. And sometimes we don't think enough of eternity while we're on this earth. We don't think of it enough. Because she had... I don't know the details, but you could probably find it out. She probably wrote a book. She probably, there's probably information out there. I know that I saw on, on the video what her, uh, what was the word called? The place that she's, the mon or what? Thank you, mausoleum. I saw it on, on the video. 
12,000 square feet. That's bigger than this building. Just to hold her body. That's nice. Wow. Can't imagine what her house looked like. Billions of dollars. Can't imagine what the bed she slept on felt like. Can't imagine the food she ate tasted like. Can't imagine what the car she drove in felt like. But I can tell you one thing. If she didn't know Jesus Christ tonight, she had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And she dies. And so she trades in. She, I don't know if she was 70 or 80. She trades in 70 or 80 years of luxury for an eternity. And we won't even go into the, the fire and the brimstone and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and all those things. We'll just go into the separation from God. And possibly the God she never even knew she could have had. I promise you there's not one person in hell who would not trade everything they ever had in life to have one minute back on this earth and change the decisions that they made. Not one person. And if you don't believe that, just read the story of the rich young ruler. If it, 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 This just breaks it down. He, he, he says, can you just have somebody dip their finger in water and just put it on my tongue? Can you grasp that? Didn't even ask for a glass of water. Can you just have somebody dip their finger in water and just, just for a moment touch it on my tongue? That's eternity. So it's not about what's going on now as much as what's going on tomorrow. Because as we close here, he says this. Foolish independence. I'm going to take and lay up for many years, and I'm going to be easy, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry. See, the interesting thing is he says for many years. But see, that's the problem in itself. You can plan, which is a good thing to do. But Matthew says, you always should say, if it's the Lord's will. Because tomorrow's not promised to anybody. And you have to try to live your life in a way that you wake up in the morning. Again, sounds cliche. But you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, help me live today like it's my last day. Honestly, church, how, how would our lives change and be for the better if we would get that mentality in our spirits? If we would wake up, or even before we wake up, if we'd go to bed at night making sure that we, we kissed our husband and wife, that we kissed our kids, that we told people we loved them, that we went to bed with no unforgiveness, that we went to bed with the right attitude, that we went to bed with the right spirit, and that we said, Lord, this may be the last time I lay my head on my pillow. Because, see, a lot of people laid their head down on a pillow last night, and tomorrow it'll be laying on a pillow in a casket. They did not know that it was going to be the last time they would lay down alive. And so we have to be not foolish. The opposite of foolish is wise and understand that this life that I'm living is my one and only life. And I need to do something with it that's going to last. So I'm not independent. I'm not saying to myself, I don't need God. God says, as in the last verse, God said, fool, this night, your soul, watch this, will be required of you. That, that right there should sober us up spiritually. 
and just get us to think. Listen, I promise you, the message that I'm preaching is not to scare you. I'm just getting, trying to get you to understand that we've got to be eternally minded. Kingdom minded. We've got to understand that, 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 that we, whatever we're doing, we've got to make sure God is first. And, that, and that's how this ends. And, 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 and here's why independence is foolish out of God, because without getting into it for time, last verse I'm going to give you, John 15, verse 5 through 7, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He goes into this whole thing, but the key word he says there is he says, for without me, you can do nothing. We should never try to do things without God, ever. How often do we say, Lord, help me make this decision. Lord, how, and we're all guilty. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We, we go through uh, so many things, and then we finally go, oh, you know what? I should probably ask God about that. God might have some good insight on this. Wow. But that's, not, that's just because we're human. We are made in sin, born in sin, to be dependent on ourselves. But inside, deep, deep, deep down inside, God made us to be dependent on him. To worship him. To praise him. To thank him. To think about him. Don't you think it makes God happy when you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, I thank you for waking. Again, these things sound so cliche, but you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I am thankful I'm still alive. I'm, I am thankful that I have another day to try to do something for God. Do I do everything every day that God wants me to do the way he wants me to do it? No, we're human, but should we try? Yes. Should we have that in our mind? Yes. Should we be saying, God, I don't want to live this one and only life I have in a foolish way. I want to be wise. As you bow your heads and close your eyes. What a good challenge for this week. What a good challenge for us to just remember and be reminded on a, on a daily and a weekly and a monthly and a yearly basis, this is my one and only life. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you know, you know how serious and real this is? You'll never get April 2nd, 2017 back again. Ever. we got a few hours till midnight, so we're still in April 2nd, but April 1st is gone. And by the way, this is not a message after April Fool's Day. Just now thought about that. Was not planned. But yesterday was the holiday for atheists. Amen. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's gone. April 1st is gone. March is gone. 2016's gone. Never get it back. And, and that, that's a moment right there that caused some regret. Oh boy. 2006, the whole year's gone. Whole month of March is gone. Whole month of January. The good news is, I can say, okay, tomorrow, I'm a, I need to get some things on track, Lord. I need to begin to be a little more kingdom mind it doesn't mean I don't go to work doesn't mean I don't go to school doesn't mean I don't do the things I need to do doesn't mean I don't provide for my family doesn't mean I don't save doesn't mean I don't have dreams doesn't mean I don't have desires no it means all those are great but God are you first in my decisions how will this decision affect the kingdom of God 
How will this decision affect the, 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 the spirituality of my kids? How will this decision affect those around me? How, how will this help someday be, leave a legacy of spiritual life for those that are around me? How, how am I doing on this? Lord, help me in that area. Because he says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So God says, I want you to prosper. Matter of fact, Peter says, I want you to prosper and as your soul prospers. That's how I want you to prosper. But we can't get the cart before the horse. We have to put God first. So how many all over this place tonight would say, I'm, I'm not even saved? Maybe you're listening online and you, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you die tonight, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. The Bible says you can be saved right now. The Bible says you can have eternal life. You can be forgiven of all your sins right now. That fool in the Bible, in this story, could have woke up. And could, he could have said to his soul, soul, you're lost. Soul, you need to get your life right with God. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to lay up more treasures. I'm going I'm to build more barns. I'm going to be more concerned about me. And you need to realize tonight, life is not about you. Life is about what you're doing for God. Because that's what we're given account for. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Does it say there that I'll, that I'll give an account to God for my wife and my daughters and my church? Those who come after. It says, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. If you're here and you need that salvation, you need to say that prayer. You need to get your life right with God. Just raise your hand and put it back down. We'll pray with you tonight. Today is the day of salvation. If you're listening online, just say the prayer of salvation we're going to say tonight. Just put your faith in Jesus. And as we close tonight, Where, what am I doing, Lord? How, how am I lining up my life? What am I doing financially? What am I doing spiritually? What am I doing in works that will leave a legacy? Not to be saved. I'm not saying what am I doing in works to be saved. We're not saved by works, but what, now that I'm saved, God requires works of me. God requires that I witness. God requires that I pray for people. God requires that I live a life that gives an example. God requires that I invest in the kingdom of God, my time, my things, my possessions. Lord, what will you say to me on that day? What will I say to you? As we stand tonight, I want to open up the altars on this Sunday night. And, and I want you just to, to, to just really look inward tonight and just really search your heart and say, Lord, I want to make sure that when I appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everything I've done in the body whether good or bad gives you glory and honor tonight. As we sing this song let's just, let's just open up our hearts. This, this is not a condemnation time. This is a time of recollection, of 
ref, ref reflection of saying, Lord, challenge me to think more about my eternity than my now. Challenge me, Lord. I receive the challenge tonight.
your decision tonight. I won't go back. I won't go back to the way I used to be. I've always, the Lord has just always reminded me of is 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ we're all going to be there all of us no one's exempt and we're just personally going to answer for our lives now thank God thank God this is a good thing, place to thank God. Thank God it will not be answering for our salvation. Thank God. This will not be a moment where we will be uh, saying, Lord, you know, what can I do to be good enough? It's not that. Thank God. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for his grace. So it's not that. It's what did you do with the salvation I gave you? All of us. This is why I'm so adamant about this, because I want to make sure when I get there that, that I, I don't have anything held back, that I didn't hold anything back, that I didn't, and, and there's no doubt all of us are going to have some regrets. There's no doubt, because none of us do all the things we could do. But we need to have that in the back of our mind constantly and consistently that I'm going to answer for every day. Because what it says is that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, that's not a bad in the sin sense. It's the bad in that this is what you could have done. This is what you could have done. It's bad because it wasn't the good you could have done. So it's not a, it's not a condemnation to hell bad. It's a, it's a you could have done better bad. You could have done more bad. You could have taken that opportunity uh, to do this, but you did that. And, and we're all going to give an account for that. And then that should be very sobering, not in a fearful way, not in a condemnation way, but in a God, I don't want to stand before you empty-handed way. I don't want to look unthankful way. And so sometimes when we feel like we're making sacrifices, we are. But they're worthwhile. No sacrifice you've ever made for God will go unseen. That's what's awesome to know. And, and what I, the reason I preached that message that one night at the rally is because personally, myself, 
I want to challenge myself to do more for God that's unseen than what is seen. That's my own personal challenge. It's, it's great to be seen by people and, oh, so-and-so did a great job, or, oh, that was nice, or so-and-so witnessed, or so-and-so prayed, or so, that's great, that's fine. But I want to focus personally on doing things that when we get up there, you'll be surprised. Oh, I didn't know he did that. I'll be surprised. Oh, I didn't know she did that. That's the kind of life God wants us to live. He wants us to do things in private that what? That someday he will exalt in public. Instead of trying to do things in public, we do it private and we do it with the right heart. And then someday God rewards it and says, you, you didn't do this for a pat on the back. I preached a message one time. I'm looking for a crown, not a pat on the back. That's what we need to check our motives on. Am I doing this because I want someone to see me? Hey, one eye open, one eye closed, someone comes in, close your eyes. Am I doing this for someone to see me? Or am I doing it so God sees it? That's the challenge. And, and if we'll all accept that challenge, we will not be disappointed on the judgment day. The judgment seat of Christ. That we'll all give an account for ourselves to God. What did I do with this precious gift? Amen. It's like somebody who's been saving up money and maybe it's in the family, it's a spouse, whatever, and, and they're like, man, I've been saving all this money. Let's go, let's go on vacation or let's go buy something. And they're like, you, you, I didn't know you were saving all that money. And it's a great surprise. Right? I didn't know you were doing that. Say, yeah, I didn't I didn't tell you on purpose. Because I want to surprise you. I want to surprise God. Not in the sense that he doesn't know, but I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to surprise everybody. When I, man, I didn't know you did that kind of stuff. Yeah, because I wasn't doing it for you. I was doing it for the king. I was doing it for the Lord. You know, and that's the challenge for all of us. Let's sing this one more time. And let's just challenge ourselves tonight to do more for the Lord. Just sing it from the very beginning. I don't know, if Chris, if you'd be able to put the words up. If not, it's fine, but just so everybody can participate. This, this, this should be our, one of our, because there's so many great songs, one of our songs we sing, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. If I'm lacking in something in my, no, Christ is enough. I need a little more money, no, Christ is enough. I need a little more health, no, Christ is enough. I need a little more joy, no, Christ is enough. Christ is my joy, Christ is my money, Christ is my peace, Christ is my happiness, Christ is my fulfillment, Christ is my relationship. Christ is my all in all. My reward. He's my reward. Oh, just think about these words tonight. Just make them your own. Make them personal. Nothing in this world. Live in that kind of way where things don't satisfy like Jesus does. Every trial, I've been, oh, make this statement to God, to the devil, and to everybody else, Christ is enough, Jesus Christ is enough, enough for me. 
it again. Christ is enough.
glorify your name, Jesus. You are enough. You are enough, Lord God. You are enough. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we leave this place, be enough. You are enough, but help us realize that. Help us make you enough. You are sufficient in yourself. You don't need to do anything more or be anything more. You're everything we need. But help us understand that tonight. Help us wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, thank you for another day. How am I going to spend this day? How am I going to spend this 24 hours? Lord, as we lay down on our beds tonight, we thank you for another day completed. And we're one day closer to eternity. One day closer to standing before you, Lord, and, and offering up to you what we've done. And Lord, if that's in any way discouraging to us, let us know that today can be a new day. Tonight we can say, Lord, I, the past is behind me. I can't unscramble scrambled eggs. I can't fix what's already undone or done. But I can focus on tomorrow. And I can do something powerful for you with the time I have left. And it's a hard issue tonight, church. It's the hard issue. Lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. And see what God does. See, see that you go to sleep at night with joy in your heart because he has your heart and then he'll pour out those blessings upon you that you can't even contain and you'll be joyful exceedingly glad because the Bible says he does above and beyond where we can ever ask or think Lord take us home safely tonight keep us safe from storms keep us safe this week as we travel Lord God just help us to be a light bring us back safely on Wednesday Lord bless fire starters Tuesday night bless us as we witness in our jobs and at school just use us tonight for the kingdom in the name of Jesus we pray father amen amen God bless you tonight we love you we're proud of you we're thankful for you amen have a wonderful night have some good fellowship right now and love on somebody